Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first Take the Black Live episode of 2019, the show where we go over the latest in Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, genre fiction news. I am Dan Selke, editor of WinnersComing.net, and you are Cheryl Wassenaar? I am. You are. No, great. I'm Josh Hill. <laughs> you have Josh Hill at FanSafer.com. Cheryl yep. Wassenaar, normal co-host, is out sick today, but we'll yeah. be back soon. And Josh, how was your holiday break? It was good. It was winter did not come to Chicago. It really didn't. It was it really, didn't. really nice. Yeah, it was. It rained on New Year's, which is, you know, global warming's a myth. So that's a different <laughs> show, <true>. though. <laughs> it really is. Wait, you don't know. We can never get into that. Did you watch or read anything on television, perhaps, over the break? Uh, I watched a lot of television, and I also read a lot of Game of Thrones. Really? So it was, well, I read a chapter of Game of That's Thrones. That's true. We're going to be doing a Clash, of Kings. a Clash of Kings next book in the series <laughs> in a minute here, Song of and Josh. But first, I thought to kick off the new year, Josh, mm-hmm. you know, 2019. By the way, hello, everybody. Hello. Happy New Year, Julie. Seeing it. And uh, Julie says, hi, Cheryl. <laughs> hi, Julie. I'll, it's funny. Cheryl says hi, too. I think. Hey, Mark, Jeff, Susan, Scott, Alexandra, Bernadette. Good to see you all. And I thought today we would just look forward to the new year, which mm-hmm. is going to be a huge year for TV, right? Yeah. Obviously, Game of Thrones coming back, final season. I can't begin to imagine what kind of cluster that's going to cause when it comes and how much it's going to dominate the conversation. Yeah. It's going to be something, dude. It's going to be huge. It's really, it really is. It's but a cultural event. It's a cultural event on the order of the MASH finale or, um, like the Friends I don't know, finale. the fall of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of other shows... Good show's coming, too. We're starting to see, like, the post-Game of Thrones bump, I think, uh-huh. with all these networks kind of getting into these huge programs. I thought we would go through 10, countdown, 10 of the biggest shows coming in 2019, or at least that I consider the most interesting, and kind of say how we're feeling about them, whether we think they're worth watching, whether we're excited about them. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you know them. You will. You know TV. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, starting off. First show looking forward to seeing in 2019, the third season of... True Detective. Yes. Are you a fan of True Detective, Josh? I was a fan of the first True Detective season yes, one. so was I. Season two, I don't think a lot of people... Uh, Although I do... I, I re-watched it recently, and it is... It's terrible. It's not good. But <laughs> it's... it's good. I feel like in a couple of years, that's gonna we're going to revisit just how bad it was and enjoy it a little bit more. Oh, sure. Some camp Because it's just... It's awful. But it's kind of a <laughs> uh, scars are cool kind of way now, so... It was, it was depressing because that first season was so interesting mm-hmm. and so good... And then I think it was just like the year turnaround because the first season, the guy, Nick, what's his name? Nick Pizzolato spent like years of his life making. Second season, season, he like, yeah, yeah, season one. Second season, he crapped out in a year. Mm -hmm. And now I think it's been like three or four years since it. Yeah. It's been, yeah. Yeah. A handful of years. Which is why I'm looking forward to the third season. I think this is going to be or can be the show's comeback. You got Mahershala Ali in a lead role. Yep. We're not going to spread it around Vince Vaughn <laughs> and Taylor Kitsch anymore. We're going to no. have one kind of driving force. Mm-hmm. I like focus. Yep. He's going to play three different eras of Mahershala Ali's detective. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to fall in love with your detective again, basically. Yeah, Mahershala Ali's awesome. I mean, yeah, he's wonderful. From Moonlight to, God, you know, so good. Predators. He was in Predators. Not the most recent one, but the one. <laughs> didn't um, know that. The Predator. Whatever one, the one Robert Rodriguez was involved in. The one that Did had the most recent one? No, it was like the second most recent sure. one. But anyways, he was in like he's a really great actor. Like I mean, he's he, not, he is. which seems reductive because he's in an, he won an Academy Award, so yeah. he doesn't need my endorsement. The Academy endorsed him. <laughs> I'm not sure why you brought up Predators for it because he's got range. He does. So we have can go range. all over the place here. Um, no, he's he's a great. The cast is great too, and yeah. it's this it's the what you were saying about he has time to write the show. Like that's why everybody's if you're a strong director like. You know, I'm thinking Sundance is coming up. And when you think of Sundance, you think of, like, Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. And their first films are so innovative and they're so great because they spent their entire lives thinking about it. And that was the same thing with True Detective. He spent his entire life thinking about True Detective. And there was a lot going on in True Detective season one. Grand statements were being made. And a lot of themes were being touched on. And then, naturally, when you rush that into season two, it's why sequels always suck. Because I mean, you, not always, but just nine times out of ten, if you're yeah. running to, if you're cashing in on the success, like Hangover Two and Hangover Three are nowhere near as good as the first Hangover, but they were rushed out because it was a cash cow. Same thing with True Detective season two. Like that took that went over in production about a year and change, really? and people were freaking out because it was I didn't know that. well over a year between the two seasons, 
and you have this big cast, you have all this expectation, and it was a dud because you're yeah. you're rushing it out for you. It's not genuine. It's not authentic. And I feel like now we're yeah, coming back around to it. He has something to prove. He has to say, look, best two out of three. Like, this and hopefully is, something to say. Yeah. That's what I'm looking forward and, to. Yeah, and something to You're say. You're very passionate about this. Okay, so excitement level. Very high. Protective season three. Because we're probably also going to see. We like numbers. Yeah, that, and we're probably also going to see Game of Thrones promos because. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the best reason to that's, watch it. Yeah. Okay, on a scale of one to ten, how excited are you for Protective season three? Uh, but eight and a half. I was going to go like a, okay, you've convinced me. I'll raise it to an eight. Because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you're right. He's coming back. This could be the comeback here. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, next, the obvious one. Game of Thrones season eight. Yes. In the final season <laughs> of Game of Thrones, six episodes. I don't know what else I can really say about this. Um, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how this series I've invested a inordinate amount of emotional and uh, mm-hmm. physical capital in turns up. I'm easily at a 10. Oh, yeah. Easily a ten. I mean, I. You don't have to say it, Josh. No, it is easily okay. a ten because this is we were just talking about. It. I mean, you were kind of joking, but it is on that mash finale level oh, yeah. of cultural significance. This is like, I was trying to think of the last time there's been appointment viewing television because now we live in a completely right. different age. Like I believe a couple of weeks ago, at some point on this show, we've talked about the X Files and how that came about at the right time where it doesn't exist in the same way today it did then and they rebooted it they tried it again and it didn't work even Mm -hmm. with an established fan base game of thrones is like the most recent example of appointment viewing that i can remember since i don't know like friends or something like that so you're you're way up there as far as everybody's invested in this everybody wants to know is that last season of breaking bad kind of became appointment viewing like like breaking bad and the sopranos sure 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 are up there too but I don't think yeah, Mad right. Men like, got to that point. But not yeah. quite. Nothing like Game of Thrones in a long time. Mm-hmm. And now it's just, it's a perfect storm of, it's gathered this audience over a, over a, a seven years or mm-hmm. really eight years with this off year. People are very invested. I, I really do think it's changed television. It's, it's going to be a landmark no matter what happens. Yeah. I, I'm just fascinated to see how they end it because they have, I don't know, how will it cement its legacy, Josh? I've, I mean, you, you, you can don't go know. back and watch we the episode know. in which we talked about how we think it's going to end. So oh, sure. you could do that. I, I think there's ways to gauge whether or not it's going to be a huge cultural touchstone, if you want. Because mm-hmm. if you think about Game of Thrones, it's the perfect storm of whatever happens is going to get memed. And as soon as you're in the meme <laughs> culture, that <laughs> scene, that's where we're at as a society. If you, if you become the meme, if you are a show that you're a meme and everybody gets it, that's 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 how you weigh yourself against everything, and you can just imagine everything in Game of Thrones. This final season is going to be everywhere. People are going to be talking about it. Yeah, people that you don't everywhere. even think watch Game of Thrones. I mean, that's been the joy of Game of Thrones. People who you don't even think yeah. enjoy shows like Game of Thrones completely geek out about it. So I, I, I'm an absolute ten for the final season of Game of Thrones, because I want to see what happens, and also. We need to enjoy kind of like the community feeling that we're going to have of enjoying this together. <laughs> like this is a it's thing gonna we're going to enjoy together. Unique, you know, Julie Davies says a thousand. Uh, I'm sorry, ten thousand and ten. And Renee argues that it's much bigger than Masher Friends has a global audience. That's true. Sure. Let's get into it. Looking forward to it. Should be obvious. Okay. Third one I have in here is the third season of Stranger Things. Yes. Hit show. Fun. I think it had. I, I don't think season two was quite as good as season one. No. But um, it was still good. It, it wasn't true detective fall-off levels, even close. No. I think the second season of Stranger Things was good. I mean, there's yeah, that. The solid. seventh episode is the infamous episode oh, that we yeah, talked about. Oh, yeah, I forgot about, about it, that one. Okay. Which is, I, first of all, I'm in the minority here of, I didn't, I'm not saying I didn't dislike the episode. I didn't, it didn't bother me that it took me out of it. Because you're binge-watching it. If it had been an episode of Game of Thrones, like we're watching sure. week to week, and you've completely cut away from the action for, you know, this standalone episode... Then that's different, but like the binging, I think, kind of saved that from being a bigger deal sure. than if it would have been Game of Thrones. Like right after you know the, the uh, Daenerys's dragon comes back as an ice dragon, we spend an mm-hmm. entire episode with like Viserys picking flowers <laughs> or something like that, sure. trying to make a potion. In the afterlife. Like yeah, like that's that would have been a bigger deal. But it was uh, rough. season three, overall, it was fun, and uh, they've taken a year off to make another season, to take another gap year, which yeah. is indicative of ambition. I'm hoping. Um, they sound like they have a good idea of what it's going to be like. Going to be more... Cause it's also fun because it, it, it has like this Harry Potter aspect to it, right? Yeah. Where these kids are growing up mm-hmm. in front of the camera. Like, yeah. like the Stranger Things kids start off... I mean, they were like, what, like 10, 11 in the Somewhere first season? Around, yeah. 
and now they're growing up, and mm-hmm. by the end of the show, they're going to be like teenagers. So that, that and that's fun to watch. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, and I think they have a good handle on how to mix, you know, like small scale slice of life '80s kid suburban drama mm-hmm. with dimensional monsters who tear off your face. Yeah. And also the nostalgia is at play. Like we're getting deeper into the 80s and closer to the 90s. So that's, I mean, we're going to get the nostalgia at play. But there I'm, are several shows on here that are just, <laughs> that are just remakes or something. That are really yeah. I'm at a, it's about 6.5 for Stranger Things. I'm going to go with a 7. I'm going to go with a 7. I know the show. I'm not excited, but I'll watch it. Sure. Okay, I'm going to like <laughs> Corey Thone. Game of Thrones fans have no room to talk about a bad episode of Stranger Things. What with uh, season 7 being dire? Wow. I don't know, Corthon, I disagree. Wow. I thought that one episode of Stranger Things was pretty rough and just very discordant with the tone. That's another discussion. Watch that later. <laughs> All right. Um, how about HBO's take on Watchmen? <sighs> Are you a fan of this at all? Like the Alan Moore comic, the seminal yeah, 86? I, I mean, yeah, I love I loved the graphic novel, and I like the movie. I like the Zack Snyder that movie, okay. and I know that that's kind of, you're either, you either like it or you don't like it. There's mm-hmm. no real middle ground with that, as is all Zack Snyder things. I thought it was fine. It was, there you go, middle ground. <laughs> Selkie always taking the middle ground. Hmm. Um, that I'm interested in seeing, because I feel like that would have, like the movie was all right, but it did, was packing a lot into two and a half hours. Right. And you can Although only, this show is not an adaptation of the actual comic. It's no, like no. a, I'm not quite sure, like a reimagining sequel repurposing, rejiggering. Which is why I'm interested, because you're taking source material and you're adapting it in a different way. So you're already adding something new. I I would have been interested already if they were adapting the graphic novel into a miniseries, because there's a lot of room to, you know, the packing into the two hours, you need to expand that a little bit more. I would have been... Reimagining it is a completely different beast. That's very interesting. Or or, or doing a sequel. And they're teasing out all kinds of interesting things. Jeremy Irons is in it, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty big get. I'm in. Um, yeah, I'll watch that. Uh, and just, it's, I, I'm Damon Lindelof, the guy behind Leftovers and Lost mm-hmm. is the guy behind it. That make you nervous or excited? I'm excited. I mean, he's, you can only hate him so much with these grand ideas that he comes up with. Like, yeah, say what you will about where Lost went and say what you will about what happened with the Leftovers, but I mean, they're great shows. They're Nuts definitely remembered shows. They're remembered shows. They're well put together and they're they're definitely decision shows. Like there's definitely, he sat down and was like, this is what I'm doing. So he's going to take that same approach to this already up to and including taking the source material and being like, that's nice. Here's my version of it, which is, you know, that's ballsy. I like that. Yeah. He doesn't lack for vision. Mm -mm. Like he's all, he's, he, he, he takes big swings, which which is nice. Oh yeah, he does. (laughs) does. Yeah. And at at minimum, I'm interested to see what happens. Mm -hmm. And I'll I'll reserve judgment for, like, whether it's great when I see it. But, yeah, yeah, it's at minimum, I I want to see more. There is a debate, by the way, over whether season five was uh, rough with Game of Thrones in the comments. I think it was pretty good. But, again, another discussion. All right. um, I'm going to give this one a six. I'm at a a six. I'll give it a six, too. Great. Six frames. Okay. How about – this is one of our uh, nostalgia things – Jordan Peele's remake of The Twilight Zone for CBS <laughs> All Access, starring people like Adam Scott and Kumail Nanjiani of Silicon Valley. My reservation with this is it's CBS All Access. It's not on proper television. <laughs> yeah. And CBS All Access does not have the clout, the streaming clout that some of these other, like if you, no. this is on Hulu, if this is on Amazon Prime, it doesn't have to be on Netflix. If this is on an established streaming service, I am going to give it a little bit more credit. But I'm, this is, Can I mean, I'll go watch it, Black Mirror. That's the point. There yeah. is already a sort of Twilight Zone successor show making mm-hmm. a lot of waves. It's called Black Mirror, and it's great, and it's fun. Then again, this has some cool talent behind it. Jordan Peele, you know, yeah. is, we know we can do comedy. We mm-hmm. know with Get Out, he kind of has some more cachet now. Yeah. That uh, he can do more dark, sort of Twilight Zone-ish drama. Now mm-hmm. that I think of it, the Get Out would have made like a pretty good hour-long Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Um, you know, hypnotism, the racial questions. And uh, it could be interesting. It could get some press. You're right. Uh, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure if it's fair to lower the rating just because it's going to be on a, a, a service I really doubt I will watch. Exactly. But well, that lowers it in my mind because no, 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 if I, you I, want I, people I, to I, watch I it, put it where they're going to watch it. And if you have a franchise like The Twilight Zone, like you're telling me Sci-Fi Network <laughs> couldn't handle this? Like, come on. Even if it's on the Sci-Fi Network. Because it's needs, it goes back to the meme culture thing, which is really dumbing down the zeitgeist conversation. But 
you're, nobody's watching CBS All Access. So if you have a really great episode of The Twilight Zone with Adam Scott in it, and it's a classic, like many of the classic Twilight Zone episodes we've seen, how are we going to have a conversation about it? Lots of great movies with lots of great talent have come out in the last 10 years, and we only talk about a handful of them, and you have to go back and revisit them. We're still revisiting movies from the 90s and the 80s where we're like, holy crap, why wasn't this a bigger thing at the yeah. time? And that's kind of what this is. I think we'll maybe revisit it in a couple of years mm-hmm. and be like, oh, that would have been good if it was on proper television or on an established streaming service that people actually watch. And this year is going to be interesting for this just because there's going to be a lot of new streamers entering the game. We're mm-hmm. going to have Disney+, Plus, which we'll yep. talk about in a minute. Uh, CBS All Access is fighting to stay alive. Amazon is going to put this game in a big way mm-hmm. in the near future. Netflix and Hulu are still going strong. I'm curious to see if there's going to be a bubble burst at some point, but we'll get to that when we get to it. Yeah. I, I guess you're right. As cool as it is to see Jordan Peele helm Twilight Zone, I'm not sure it's going to have a huge penetration. Mm-hmm. So I'll give it a four. Yeah, I'm um, four. I'm good with that. All right. Uh, how about this? Did you see Deadwood on H- the HBO program Deadwood? Are you excited for the Deadwood movie? It's not really a TV show, but I'm counting it anyway because it's an HBO movie. Yeah, it, it, it counts. Um, the long-awaited Deadwood movie. I mean, they were mm-hmm. supposed to have this, what, back in 2007, whenever the show ended. I just never watched it. And here we are a decade plus past that, and we're finally getting it. So I'm With all the cast coming back. With all the cast coming back. I'm a nine and a half for this. I'm, Seriously. I'm okay, really excited it. because it has, it's a revival. It's, I don't, I'm not going to call it a reboot, but it's going to revive interest in the show because de- you know, oh, HBO yeah, can run their marathons now. You can roll out the blue <laughs> or the 4K restoration of the box set now. Like This is going to be a Deadwood revival if it's done right, which is why it's 9.5, not a solid 10 because it's been <laughs> over a decade. It's been a while. It's, and- been a lo- it's been a long while, which either means it's been too long, it's going to be the Phantom Menace effect where we're Sorry. just so excited for it, it can't possibly live up to it, or it's going to be the True Detective Season 1 effect where we've been the creative minds behind it have been thinking about it for so long that they have perfected it. The Incredibles 2. Like, you know, he was thinking about that. Brad Bird was thinking about that since The Incredibles 1. Mm-hmm. And it's a very simple story, but it's such a great story because he took so much time and care. And that is evident in the story and the thought that was put into creating it. That's what I'm hoping for Deadwood here. So, cool. Nine and a half. All right. I go with N.A. I haven't seen Deadwood. I hope it's good. <laughs> okay. Next one I want to talk about is, again, we mentioned Disney+. Plus. Yep. Disney's, Disney's going to make a, its own streaming service out sometime, I think, in the later 2019, mm-hmm. later this year. I'm not, I, we don't know 100% it's going to launch along with this show, but I would be shocked if it didn't. Mm-hmm. It's making a show, I'm sure you know about it, called The Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. It is a live-action Star Wars television show, the first ever, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it sounds pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. It's set after Return of the Jedi, before The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. It's about a lone gunslinger who wears Boba Fett armor, mm-hmm. um, played by Game of Thrones alum Pedro Pascal, hey. who's Oberyn Martell. It has, it, ha- <laughs> it has Carl Weathers in it, mm-hmm. Apollo Creed. <laughs> yep. It's got... Um, Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog, <laughs> noted German documentarian <laughs> and filmmaker. Nick Nolte. Yep. Um, and Giancarlo Esposito, Gus, I'm Breaking Bad. Really interesting cast. Oh, yeah. Um, John Favreau's behind it. John Favreau, Iron Man guy's behind it, executive producing. I think it looks... Like, the, the, the more I hear about it, the more interested I am. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll be Disney. I'm sure it'll be, you know, um, percussive and explosive and just have nice production values and yeah. be slick and watchable. What I like is that I'm hearing all these things that make it sound kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Like again, I, I, I always come back to I always come back to, to Herzog being in it, which is a very odd choice. <laughs> yeah. I, I read today that there's concept art for like an R two D two robot with robotic arms and legs that carries like a stick that he hits people <laughs> with. And I'm like, I'm here for that. Oh yeah. So I am interested. I'm at like an eight. I'm at a I'm at a solid ten. All right. Every time I come on Star here, Wars I mention dude. Star Wars. Um, <laughs> Look, yeah, I mean, because it does sound interesting. It does sound weird, and it sounds mysterious. Like, that's, that's kind of why, you know, The it Force Awakens... fun to me. Yeah, like, The Force Awakens worked so well because mm-hmm. it's an established property, but there was a lot of secrecy about it, and we had a lot of theories going into it. Yes. And that's a two-and-a-half-hour movie, so we're in and out. We can address everything. It's all on the table. Whereas stretching it out across weeks... Now, I don't know if this is going to be a binge-watch thing or if this is going to be like a Star Trek They haven't Trek said how many episodes are going to be... Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like 10, but if probably. You, the idea of stretching it out across 
a long timeline is fascinating because you can let lots of things play out. And yeah. when you have mysterious characters like a Mandalorian who may or may not have ties to Boba Fett, you're opening up a Pandora's box of Star Wars theories that is going to fascinate a lot of people. <laughs> yes. It, and they're going to be drawn it, it, in because then you're looking for all these different about. things. So I'm, I'm way in on this. Um, again, I, my reservation is it's the CBS All Access thing. I don't know how well... Disney's yes. This is a hell of a thing to launch your streaming service. I mean, I will say if any company can break into the streaming market, it's Disney. Yeah, like I'm, that that they can do what they want. Yeah, like and they they will probably get away with it. Mm -hmm. And they have other shows in the pipeline too. They're making a um, they have like a bunch of Marvel shows Mm -hmm. on tap with like the actual actors from the movies in them as shows. Mm -hmm. Like they're they have like a like a Scarlet Witch and the Vision show. They have one about um, I don't know the people, the Falcon dude and. the Winter Soldier, they have about Loki mm-hmm. and all the actors from the movie. So, like, they're going to make a big splash. Oh, yeah. And I think this will be their first foot forward kind of proving mm-hmm. ground kind of thing. Yeah. And I I want to see it. The more I hear about it, the more I like it. Mm-hmm. I want to see R2-D2 type robot beat Beating up Werner with a stick. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm at an 8. You're at a 10.5. Good on you. Okay, next is a bit of a quirky one. Mm-hmm. we got three more. That um, have you ever, Are you a fan of, of Terry Pratchett at all? Or Neil Gaiman? Eh, here and there. Good Omens is this, uh, a book they wrote in 1990. Mm-hmm. Have, have you watched the trailer? I have, yeah. Okay, so I haven't read the book. I, I've read both of those guys individually. It just looks really fun to me. you got David Tennant yep. as a demon. you got Michael Sheen from Frost Nixon as an angel. Mm-hmm. They're on a buddy cop, uh, yeah. buddy road movie <laughs> to save the universe from Armageddon. It just looked kind of really... Uh, Quirky and interesting and a little bit smaller scale, which is a weird thing to call a thing about the apocalypse. But mm-hmm. when you compare it to all these like giant investment shows like Watchmen and The Mandalorian and Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to a bit of a smaller, quirkier, fun thing. And I'm going to give it a nine. I, I'm at a nine, too. I'm in for anything David Tennant does. And I also, like, I also like connecting things that aren't necessarily connected, but then like, you know creating like Dave, uh, like Damien Lindoff, like doing it in my mind, just adapting <laughs> things that already exist. So in my mind, I'm going to watch this as uh, David Tennant's Doctor Who, who has gone off the rails. Sure, this I is, can see that. This is his Doctor Who. It's all like, cosmic and crap. And yeah, so... Uh, weird characters. Again, great cast. So yeah. I'm in there. Yeah, you also got source uh, John there. Hamm, yep. Nick Offerman, Michael McKean, Ryan Richardson. So definitely good cast. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in on this. I don't know if it's going to be a thing. What I also like is it's like a six episodes and done. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's so refreshing. Yeah. So <laughs> they're I, not yeah. trying to stretch it out. I don't know if it's going to be a thing... But this this might be something we would continue to revisit and come back to, and it, it's going to have a life beyond the six episodes. I think so. You can already tell that from the trailer, from the cast, and the source material. So you already know you're working with something. And uh, Julie hasn't heard of Good Omens. I recommend you watch the trailer, Julie. Oh, it yeah. looks like a watch lot of fun. It, Julie. it really does. And again, like something I can just kind of watch and relax to without wondering, like, do I have to get invested in this world for the next eight years? Mm-hmm. Just like something a little more like chill. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we got two more. Um, have you ever heard of The Witcher? I have. The popular video game series popular books, video game read series. or played anything? I've not played them. I've heard of them, though. I'm curious about this one because it seems like this is a Netflix show mm-hmm. uh, with um, Superman. Superman, yeah. Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill, yeah. Henry Superman Cavill as the lead character who is a Doing his demon. Doing Orlando Bloom from Lord of the Rings impression. <laughs> yeah. As a demon hunter in a made-up fantasy medieval-esque world. You know, one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I'm interested in this one is because it seems like this is Netflix's attempt to do a Amazon Lord of the Rings or a watch or a HBO's uh, Game of Thrones or mm-hmm. like they, they want a big fantasy hit mm-hmm. and they're banking on this to kind of be that they're putting money into it. It's a big property. It's very popular. I, I, although it could be bigger. It's a little like a song of ice and fire and that people knew about it. Mm-hmm. But it took like a you know a big flashy show to make it like explode. Yeah, and they got a big name. They got Superman. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Although I guess we could debate how uh, well he came off at, at the movies over the past couple of years. And um, a long book series. Yep. Not unlike Song of Ice and Fire by a Polish author whose name I can't pronounce. And um, I think it could be a very effective, splashy, fun, bingeable fantasy show to yeah. rival the bunch of others that are cropping up mm-hmm. as Game of Thrones goes out the door. I'm less excited about this than I am about 
Amazon's uh, Lord of the Rings series and even oh, sure. like the Game of Thrones prequels. I don't know. I've, I feel a little weird when you have a property that's very large and you mm-hmm. know it has a following and you have to go out and get an established name to sell it. That's what's, yeah. that's what's making me waver on I mean, this one. To be one. fair, it's only him. It's like uh, the rest of the cast, I've never heard of. That's the thing, but like Game of Thrones got Sean Bean, who's yeah. like, he's Sean Bean, yeah, but like he hasn't been as big as he was like what, a decade ago. Yeah. Like, I don't know. This is, I'm, I'm less excited about it. I'm at like a five, a four and a half. Like, I don't necessarily okay. think I'm going to be compelled to watch this. I'm going to have to be convinced to watch it. I word you. of mouth. And that's and not a good start if, because I don't know, I, I doubt I'm the only person that feels that way. Oh, you totally. never want that. I mean, it, it's also on Netflix. It's, it, it's, it can be hard to tell, like, which, which shows they're investing, like, real time and money in and making them good, mm-hmm. or which shows are just kind of like, can we do this? Yeah, go ahead. Here's a couple hundred dollars. Make what you want. They just don't do a lot of quality control. I also dislike the fact that it's in the, it's, it's part of this post Game of Thrones world mm-hmm. now, where you know there's going to be a void, and you're going to try to fill it with something that. <laughs> yeah, you are. Th- to me, this was n- executives at Netflix who we know green light any idea that comes across their fax machine, email, whatever. <laughs> like you could, like they, they're riding the bus in the morning, and they hear somebody say something, and they're like, "Ooh, here's a million dollars for a show. Want to do that?" It's just some crazy guy ranting. But like they know that th- this is, to me is a bunch of Netflix executives sitting in a boardroom going, "Ooh, what can we get these Game of Thrones kids to watch? We can oh, get these totally. Game of Thrones fans to watch." And then it's just like they're running down this cliche list. They're like, "Fantasy, let's make it really fantastical. Let's make it look like Game of Thrones." And it's like, "Come on, that's to me that's offensive." Today, fantasy author book. It's offensive. I'm offended Damn, off the Josh. bat because I'm like, I'm not stupid. Like you don't need to pander. Like Game of Thrones fans are intelligent. They're smart. They will like good things. Okay. Game of Thrones fans were fans of The Leftovers. They're fans of these other shows. Like, they're fans of good, smart things. You don't need to pander and say, here's a fantasy show of fantasy fans. That's just dumb to me. Okay, I disagree with you a little bit. Because, I mean, okay, so I, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a huge Witcher fan or anything. Mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't played the games. I'm trying to read the books now in preparation for this show. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a fantasy series of books that has been around for, like, decades. Yeah. It's not like... The books were written in response to Song of Ice and mm. Fire. No. In fact, the author, a little hilarious side note, <laughs> is a bit of a uh, crotchety old ass. Oh. And um, he insists that his books are the reason the story's popular, not the video game, which is way more popular, mm-hmm. which is just hilarious. But um, I think it, it, it has its own identity. Yeah. And Netflix is kind of famously hands-off. Mm-hmm. Like, that's part of the reason why... You get you like a, a new Netflix show. You have as good a chance of it being great, like a Stranger Things, or just terrible, mm-hmm. like that Miranda Sing show nobody watched. Um, and I, I get the idea that they, they 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 may want their own version of it, but it, that that doesn't mean that this show won't have its own identity or be its own thing or find its own audience. I feel like uh, maybe selling the Witcher fandom, which does exist, a little short. It is quite popular, and, and, and there are people who love this stuff. And I don't know enough about it to know if they're like on the mm-hmm. right track exactly. Yeah. But it, it's got Henry Cavill in a white wig, so it's starting somewhere. It does, but when I saw the picture, I was like, that looks Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings. And I'm already like, I mean, this is It also looks The Witcher. It does. That's true. I mean, I'm going to give it a chance. I'm not saying I'm not going to watch it, but I'm just very, this is, of the shows we've talked about, this is the one that I'm least excited to get to. <laughs> and it may end up okay, being my enough. favorite, so who knows? Okay, cool. Good for you. <laughs> I, 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 just, I just felt some hostility, and I just wanted to, to talk about it for well, a minute. Maybe I'm just being crotchety. I don't know if it. you're okay. <laughs> okay, finally, uh, we got one more show on this list uh, that just cropped up in the, pa- in the past, like, two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, another Netflix show, the a television series prequel to the... 1982 Jim Henson movie, The Dark Crystal, <laughs> called The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, oh, famous yeah. for using oh, yeah. puppets um, to depict a fantasy world. Hell yes. Again, kind of um, post-Game of Thrones, fantasy-filling void. Mm-hmm. Although, you've seen The Dark Crystal. Do you think uh, it has any resemblance? <laughs> I mean, it, I, it's, I, it's I hard haven't. to top the original Dark Crystal because it's, that's just, it has its own charm. Um, also, the cast on this thing. Really fast. I'm just going to read some of their names because it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a weird cast. Okay. We got um, Harvey Firestein, Mark Hamill, of course. Eddie Izzard, Helena Bonham Carter, Keegan-Michael Key from Key and Peele, 
Simon Pegg, Andy Samberg, Oscar winner Alicia Vikander, I'm sure, from uh, The Danish Girl. That was a good movie. Um, and then Game of Thrones star Nathalie Emanuel and Natalie Dormer in it. Mm. A pretty pretty good cast for oh, yeah. a fantasy puppet show. Yeah. This is the... You can have the Witcher feelings about this because you're like... It has all of the <laughs> trademark. It's the, an established property. The bringing it back. It's clearly aimed at a specific audience. But... One has just one big name in Henry Cavill, and you mm-hmm. can debate whether he's a big name or not. This one, the, all of the creative minds behind it, plus it's just much better source material. <laughs> I'm See, so I in on the Dark the Crystal. I, maybe I do. Maybe I have. Maybe we've discovered something about me here. But I'm I'm all in on the Dark Crystal. Fair enough. I it's also a cult thing. Like it's not like a hit. Like it's very much a culty, popular thing. Right. Like they show it. There's midnight showings of this. The Witcher is a not the only Witcher book, books are definitely a culty thing, but the it, Witcher video games are multi-million-dollar selling I mean, things. Played by like fantasy nerds, it's not like I remember the Witcher video games. I never played it, but I remember sure. seeing posters I, 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 and that. I, I, I so there was it. it's present in my mind as far as remembering right. it along the line. Whereas the Dark Crystal pops up in very specific. Yes, the Dark moments. Crystal is definitely it's older. It, it's 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 kind of another thing of eighties nostalgia mm, in yeah. a way. Oh, it absolutely is. Um, I'm interested puppets. Uh, augmented with CGI. Oh, yeah. A really interesting cast. Can't wait to see what Harvey Firestein does with the role of, I don't know, a troll or something. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what it's is, gonna be is, is in that movie. Cool. It's going to yeah. be the sympathetic troll. Exactly. The troll that, like, lost part of its groceries on the way home from the store and is really upset about it. Harvey there Firestein. I'm going to see that. Okay. You had to, like, say your top three here, your side of four. Have any um, lists there really quick? No, I mean, it's, the Mandalorian is... Obviously, yeah, number one, there. we got Deadwoods up there. So, and then True Detective then season three. Okay. Well, the Dark Crystal is going to be fun, <laughs> personally. I don't know if it's going to become a thing or not. But. I go with Game of Thrones, obviously. The Mandalorian 2, my number two, because it does look pretty interesting. And I really want to see Good Omens really badly. I don't know why. just kind of sparked my interest. Yeah. Okay. And that was our 2019 uh, genre preview. It should be a good year for TV. It should be. I am looking forward to it. And now, before we transition to... Before we transition to a song of Ben and Josh, let's take a short break. We'll be back with you in a second. <laughs> oh, Ned Stark, will you ever learn? No, oh, sorry, I didn't see you there. I'm Dan Selke, the editor at WinnerIsComing.net, your one-stop shop for all things Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, and genre fiction in general. We here at Wick love bringing you news, reviews, and editorial content, and we're gonna keep doing all that stuff. However, for the especially hardcore among you, we're going to start offering even more. Welcome to the Wick Club. The Wick Club is a Patreon-funded effort to provide fantasy and sci-fi fans with even more Wick content. You can join at several levels. For $1 a month, you can enter into monthly swag giveaways and get to read extra columns. At $4, you'll get to watch extra episodes of Take the Black Live, our weekly chat show, with topics chosen by you. Please be gentle. And at the Valyrian Steel level, that's $10 a month, you get Wick Club t-shirts and access to a new segment we're calling Drinking and Knowing Things, a monthly live stream where I drink wine and talk with all of you in a free-flowing conversation about Game of Thrones, fantasy, sci-fi, and whatever else comes up after I've had a few. Just to be clear, we're not going to stop doing anything on Wick we already do, and we're hoping to add more stuff anyway. The Wick Club is a way to produce even more content and hopefully to get to know some of you better. You can find links to more information below. We hope to see you in the Wick Clubhouse. Valor Morghulis, bottoms up, and thanks for watching. All right. Welcome back, everybody. We are back here with A Song of Dan and Josh, the show where Josh Hill and I go through each and every chapter of A Song of Ice and Fire, breaking them down so we don't make them work, so we make them not work. And if you were with us two weeks ago, we finally finished our journey through A Game of Thrones, the first book in the saga. Yep. And we are here to begin A Clash of Kings. A Clash of Kings. A Clash of Kings. Not the the mobile game, A Clash of Clans. No. The novel, A Clash of Kings. And not the band, The Clash. Why would we even think that? And we're here to go over uh, the new book. (laughs) I don't know. We are. That was good. That was a nice reference. Yeah. Um, Anyway. We read the first chapter in A Clash of Kings, yep. uh, the prologue. The prologue. Okay. Uh, important chapter. Let's just break it down. A lot, a lot happened here. It was 
a very long chapter. It's a long prologue. First of all. It's like 25 pages. And this is about the curtain rising on this new leg of the story. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's interesting that it's all new characters. Yep. Like, there's no one in this chapter that we've met before. Not mm-hmm. a single person. We'd heard Stannis' name, mm-hmm. but we'd not, not seen yep. him. What do you think of that? What do you think of opening your book, your, <clears throat> the sequel to your last book, in a whole new place? We'd never been to Dragonstone. Whole new character, whole new everything. I liked it. That's, uh, <clears throat> you could tell that George R. R. Martin put some thought behind it. We talked about True Detective earlier mm-hmm. and how it was kind of rushed into another season because the first was so popular and you could tell there wasn't a lot of thought put into it. Right. This is the, Clearly, he's going for something here. He's establishing a new part of the world. He's establishing new characters. And he's expanded this world that was already large to begin with. Like, we've, in the first book, we went all over the place. We had all these characters. We had all these things going on. And now we're like, holy crap, there's even more. Oh, yeah. And it's, more. It's, it's, it's a great intro because you're coming here knowing what happened in Game of Thrones, wanting to know what happened to these characters. You want to get back into their heads. And he's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. We'll Hold pump it. the brakes on that. Let's just go and get into this whole new thing so you have more heads you want to get into. It was great. And it sets it straight up. It was like a great first episode of a show. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's also important because the, uh, 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 Clash of Kings, if you, remember, if you remember from the second season of Game of Thrones, Stannis is kind of the driving force. Mm-hmm. Like, the second book is all about, I mean, as always, there's stuff, there's lots of stuff going on. There's John yeah. North of the Wall, and there's Brian of Winterfell, and there's Arya in the Riverlands. But the big conflict is Tyrion's defending King's Landing from Stannis. Stannis wants to take it. Yep. And that's kind of... If there is a through line of this book, it's that. And the other stuff is kind of developing as it goes. Yeah. So it's important to introduce this new guy off the bat and make, make sure he's a strong impression. Okay. I, I'm going to run through a list of the new characters introduced here because they were a lot. <laughs> There's a lot. And we're going to yeah. really hit what our impressions oh, yeah. uh, were. Five. Okay. First up, we got Maester Cresson, yep. who is the uh, narrator of this chapter. Main character is, yeah. Yeah, like the point of view character, yep. who dies at the end, which, yep. by the way, becomes a Shocker. theme in these <laughs> books. Every prologue character dies yeah. at the end of the chapter. And Maester Cresson, you know, he's not a giant, he's not a member of Game of Thrones character, so obviously he's going to die. Although, I will say, I like that George R. R. Martin gave, gave him a lot of characterization mm-hmm. within a short amount of time. So he's yep. this old maester, he serves Stannis. And I, I like the way he described kind of his age. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a whole thing about him, like the ordeal he goes through, like going down and upstairs. <laughs> and how that, that's important politically. Yeah. Because, like, if, you, if you're not summoned to a meeting and you're old, you take, like, a half hour to get there and you've missed all the important stuff. Yeah. So it, it's not just that it sucks to be old and you can't go upstairs. It's that you sucks to be old and you can't go upstairs. And it means that you're no longer in the loop. And then you die. And then you die because you want to kill the Red Witch who's turning everyone into Jonestown fanatics. Mm-hmm. Which, so, again, first mentioned to Melisandre, too. Yeah, I mean, I think they, like, mentioned, like, Thanos took up with some Red Witch weird lady, but the, we, we didn't get a name. Mm-hmm. We certainly didn't meet her. So I, I liked him. Or to like a Crescent. Yeah, I mean, the, the points you laid out were great, like. I like that we got a lot of exposition with him, it seemed. He seemed like he... Definitely. It's like the Ned he, thing, he, he to thought. a lesser degree, where it's like he's establishes this character. I'm like, okay, I'm in on this guy, and then he dies at the end of the chapter. And yeah. kind of also like sets kind of a tone, miniature. which was, totally a good, it was a good tone setter. So that I, I, that I really Because throughout the it. chapter, he's talking about... The chapter is eerie, right? The first line is, uh, The comet's tail spread across the dawn, a red yep. slash that bled above the crags of Dragonstone like a wound in the pink and purple sky. Now, that comet's the same one Daenerys saw when she birthed her dragons in the last chapter. So, you know, trying to connect the world, this giant story, trying to form some kind of link. Yep. And I think a lot of characters will see that comet um, in the coming chapters to come. Mm -hmm. And he's he's, he's worried. He's worried about, you know, what this weird red witch lady is doing to the thing. And I think that we talked last week about how Game of Thrones is kind of fantasy to start, ice zombies, fantasy to end... Uh, dragons, and in between, mostly not fantasy, mostly Normal, politics. real life things, yeah. We're kicking the fantasy up a notch, a bit. We now have Melisandre, who is this, you know, witch who can drink poison and live, and she's part of the political story now. Yep. She wants to take King's Landing with Stannis. So introducing her here is, I think, Martin's way of saying, like, I'm gonna start ramping this part of it up. Yeah. Now that the dragons are born, I can start getting into this more. And Maester Creston is kind of the, uh, the normal guy who wants to do it the non-magic way and ends up just, you know, choking on poison. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, 
Her name was Shireen. She would be 10 on her next name day, and she was the saddest child that Maester Crescent had ever known. Stannis's, uh, uh, bull, what's the disease? Grayscale face riddled daughter. Remember her from the show? Yep. The one who eventually gets a, <laughs> lit up. Steak, yep. Uh, good impression here. Sweet. I mean, I guess I'm not a whole lot to say. Have any impression of her? No, I mean, just to mention the character. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So now Although, there. I will say, she has a companion, and his name is Patchface. A Patches. Who, who, oh, who, yeah. who, who, is not <laughs> a, who is not on the show. Yeah. Even for a fool, Patchface was a sorry thing. He was soft and obese, subject, subject to twitches and trembles, incoherent as often as not. And he runs around singing these, like, creepy Freddy Krueger horror songs. Mm-hmm. Like, the shadows come to dance, my lord, dance, my lord, dance, my lord. And um, they have a whole story about how he was a really smart kid and really funny and talented. And they brought him over and he got in a shipwreck and he ended up, you know, mentally damaged mm-hmm. and fat and weird. Did he make an impression on you? Because he's not on the show at all. Eh, not really. Okay. No real impression. I think he's bizarre. Well, I mean, yeah, that left an impression, but not right. like an impression where I was like, all right, let's see where this character goes. It's just like, oh, cool. all right. Take note of him, because we'll talk about him a little more later. Mm-hmm. He does do some interesting stuff, and um, I'm, I'm fine with him being cut from the show. I mean, he's just... He's one of those kind of touches of Martin's that is just a little too odd uh, to, like, kind of be on screen. Yeah. But he is interesting, and we'll come back to him a little bit. Okay. Davos Seaworth was a slight man, his low birth written plain upon a common face. A well-worn green cloak, stained by salt and spray and faded from the sun, draped his thin shoulders over brown doublet and breeches that matched brown eyes and hair. Davos Seaworth comes on. Oh, yeah. What do you, what do you think of him? I love, love Davos on the show. Yeah, love he's him a in character. the book. <laughs> about the same, right? About the same. Yeah, they, they didn't really stray too far from that. His best moment, I think, in this chapter was... Because as we know, Davos also has big props with Melisandre. Mm-hmm. And they'll fight for the next, oh, yeah. the next few books. And uh, there's a bit where Crescent's trying to poison her. And he sees that Davos saw what he's trying to do. But Davos... You know, he kind of half-heartedly tries to stop him. Like, what are you doing, dude? Mm-hmm. But he keeps going anyway. I think that's that's good setup. Because yeah. a, a big part of Davos's arc is, I do not like this woman, what she's yeah. doing to Stannis. And I bet he would have been perfectly fine if Maester Crescent had successfully assassinated Melisandre. Yeah, most likely. But right now, all we get is the impression of this advisor to Stannis who is not okay with this new normal mm-hmm. that's taken over Dragonstone. All right. Okay. The man himself. I'm a, this is a long one, but it's important. Stannis will be around, Stannis will be around for a while. Stannis. And Stannis has inspires a lot of strong opinions. So I'm curious to hear what your take on him is. Stannis Baratheon was broad of shoulder and sinewy of limb, with a tightness to his face and flesh that spoke of leather cured in the sun until it was tough as steel. Hard was the word men used when they spoke of Stannis, and hard he was. His mouth would have given despair to even the drollest of fools. It was a mouth made for frowns and scowls and sharply worded comments, all thin, pale lips and clenched muscles, a mouth that had forgotten how to smile and had never known how to laugh. Sounds like a fun guy at parties. (laughs) Completely, (laughs) utterly fun guy at parties. What's your take on Stannis Baratheon? Did that match what you saw on the show? It did, yeah. It it matched a lot. This just stoic kind of nothing's there but you know that he's a smart guy you know that there's the gears are working up top but also you know melisandre is there so you've got this kind of you're very different yeah so you've got how stannis is described and then knowing that he's like under the influence of this priestess this witch and kind of comparing and contrasting that to like oh that makes sense that makes sense like the way he is he's a very doesn't come across as the as a sympathetic guy doesn't come across as a very loving guy um, Which is his problem. Yeah. Like, they mentioned that... Uh, I mean, his whole problem, Stannis' thing here, is that he wants the throne because yep. he thinks, I'm the younger brother of Robert. Mm-hmm. My my younger brother, Renly, is declaring himself king and trying for it. That's Bull. Mm-hmm. I'm his older brother. He should be deferring to me. But the problem is nobody likes him. Yeah. The problem is, like, it, it's not just about the Lance of Sessions. You have to, like, get allies to like you. Mm-hmm. And even though he's smart... He's a complete sourpuss. Oh, yeah. No one wants to work for him. Yep. Except the contrast that is Davos. They, mm-hmm. they, they tell the story about why Davos is so loyal to him. And I think it tells you everything you need to know about those two characters. So they tell the story about, you know, how Davos was a smuggler. He smuggled in food to help Stannis during a big siege. Mm-hmm. 
And for that, Stannis is like, okay, you help me, I'm going to make you a knight, but you're a smuggler, I'm going to cut off your fingers. And Davos thanked him for that mm-hmm. and has been happier ever since because he's a knight, he can make more money for his family. Mm-hmm. And that tells you a lot, I think, about yeah. what the relationship is. So that's the kind of guy Stannis is. He's just, <laughs> but in the kind of an unyielding sort of... yeah. Like, no compromise way. He's very yes. cold, yeah. But he can inspire great loyalty in certain people, mm-hmm. like Davos. And, and we like Davos. Yeah. So he's kind of our way into Stannis, yeah. in a way. Okay. Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, his, her, his wife, Stannis' wife. Lady Selyse was as tall as her husband, thin of body and thin of face, with prominent ears, a sharp nose, and the faintest hint of a mustache on her upper lip. Her eyes were pale, her mouth stern, her voice a whip. First, rhymes, fun. Uh, do you recall her from the show? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, she, I, I, I liked her. She In the show, she's the one who... She's the real adherent to Melisandre. Oh, okay. Like, Melisandre, she, Melisandre turned her first. Because mm-hmm. at this point, Stannis isn't completely turned on to Melisandre's weird witchy ways. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think there's a point where Selyse is really going in on Crescent. That, that, that scene where yeah. um, he's trying to poison Melisandre and they're embarrassing him in front of everybody mm-hmm. and he's kind of despairing. Selyse is the one who leads that charge. Yeah. She is a she's completely camp Melisandre is great mm-hmm. and I think what they don't ever really say it. I think what happened is Melisandre turned the wife first that's how she got her foothold in here and now she's working on the husband Yeah. but he's still not quite there I think I think it's interesting. She's a she's a kind of weird. Do you remember the scene in the show where Stannis' wife shows him all the stillborn babies she yes. keeps in tanks? That, yep. That's her. Ah, a loving mother. <laughs> a kind of a weird, weird. Yeah, obsessive, bizarre, like not quite right mm-hmm. mother. Yeah. Okay. She'll be back. I like her. And finally, they save the best for last, or the most important for last. And I think that was totally deliberate. Melisandre's the last person to get an, an entrance. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, she's kind of the monster of this book, so they want to keep her last. Slender she was, graceful, taller than most knights, with full breasts and narrow waist and a heart-shaped face. Many called her beautiful. She was not beautiful. She was red and terrible and red. Ooh. Using Red two and words. terrible and red. Red's red twice. Red everywhere, dude. Red hair, red lips, red cloak. Red priestess. Probably red fingernails. Red priestess, yeah. Red tongue, mm-hmm. I imagine. Red ears, red skin. It is a very visceral description. Where you, she sticks out, staunch, very, very stark sticks out from everybody else that has been described, especially Stannis, yeah. who she's sinking her fingers into. This cold, very disconnected guy who is, inspires, <laughs> you know, great loyalty. Hi, Gary. But he's this, you know, very hard egg to crack, and here she is, completely different. How did she come off to you? Like, I think she's supposed to be this kind of ethereal, mysterious presence. Did mm-hmm. that work for you? Yeah, I got that. I mean, the description alone. Like, she's got, the, you know, the red and all this and everything, and the, her entrance. And she's very, she, she is her own character within these new characters that we've just met. And she's the one that you take away being like, okay, that's the one that sticks right. out to me. And I mean, like, among all the ones who are introduced, like, there are a lot introduced here. Mm-hmm. And it's all, she has to be the one who sticks out. She has oh, yeah. to be the one who stands out and establishes herself as the driving force here. Oh, yeah. Her and Stannis, I guess. And then Davos kind of slips under the radar here a little mm-hmm. bit, even though he'll be our point of view here mm-hmm. going forward. Because the chapter ends with Crescent trying to poison Melisandre. He kind of drinks the cup to prove it's fine. Mm-hmm. And, and it's then not fine. He dies, and <laughs> she's fine. Yep. What the hell, Josh? She's a witch. What's happened? She's a witch. She's a witch. Which is fun. So now, so so we're in this part. It's kind of cool because I I think there's a lot going on with this story. I think part of it is Melisandre is making a cult, mm-hmm. sort of. She has her weird fire god. It, it's it's getting a little culty up in here. Yep. Like she's convinced Stannis. This is what Crescent doesn't like to go ahead and try and take the Iron Throne mm-hmm. without any allies. Yeah. Which to him. It's like, that's insane. You need mm. allies, because this is a war that we play by the rules. I mean, you need allies and armies to help mm. you. And then at the party, people are like, uh, he has an ally, Solis said. Rolor, the Lord of Light, the Heart of Fire, the God of Flame and Shadow. Mm-hmm. Which is insane. That's crazy talk. 
Like, you don't have armies, but you have God on your side? That's nuts. But Melisandre, her power is such yeah. that she's convinced people that that might be enough. And then at the end, unlike an actual cult leader, she can actually do some wizardy magic crap <laughs> and survive some poison. So it changes the dynamic. It's like if... I don't know, who's, who's a cult leader? If... Um, Jim Charles Jones. Manson yeah. could what's that? Like Jim Jones. Jim Jones. Well, I mean, stick with your Jonestown theme. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, and the thing with cult leaders is that they convince their followers of their magic anyway. Mm-hmm. And the twist here is that she's actually magic, mm-hmm. which is just a a little a little play <laughs> on uh, some real life events, I think, which is going to be fun. All right. Um, I also wanted to really mention quickly that. Uh, just really fast. What's your opinion of this? So Martin mentions that Renly, uh, Sansa's younger brother, has declared himself king and established the Rainbow Guard, which is his version of the King's Guard. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Rainbow Guard. Renly's a gay dude. Martin has claimed it wasn't a gay reference, and I'm like, come on. It's a gay reference, George. Yeah. I don't you know what you were doing, man. That's, yeah, George, he knew. I wanted to get that out there. He's, uh, that's what happens when you, uh, you're you up in the mountains writing alone by yourself. You lose touch with reality, George. The this Rainbow was Guard. like the late 90s. He, yeah, but the, he, he, he they call it the gay 90s. Like, this isn't like he's like some re- <laughs> he's like reaching deep into the bag here. Like, this is an established thing. Like, this is late 90s. Like, yes. this is like the Matrix. Like, this is... It's like, Will and Grace is on. Yeah, Will and Grace. Like, this is... Well, no, I'm like... I don't mind him making it. I just I think it's weird that he denies it. Yeah, just like own it, man. <laughs> so, like, come on. He's like the only gay character in the story, and it's like, no, the Rainbow Guard <laughs> Rainbow is just a coincidence. It's fine. Come on, George. I just wanted to say that and be on record <laughs> that I think that's weird. Um, any other impressions of this one? We kind of we kind of went through it quickly because we had a lot to get through. The next chapter is shorter. Mm-hmm. So, what are your impressions of uh, the first chapter of the Clash of Kings, and what are you looking forward to seeing? Uh, well, well, I mean, seeing where the characters that we established in the last book. Of course, yeah, um, and we will. But we'll get right back into that. Setting setting up this the new characters, the new setting, and kind of this new direction that this new wrinkle to the story is fascinating. Yeah, they're bringing in some magic into the political world. Mel- oh, yeah. I think it's Melisandre and Stannis are the big new players, and yeah. we'll see how they. Uh, See what they do in the weeks to come. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Josh. This is a long and fruitful episode of Take the Black Live and Song Down Josh. Thanks to everyone who watched. Um, Julie says that poor Shireen, she was a sad character. I agree. No. A very depressing end. She has not been burned in the books yet, by the way. Oh. Which uh, I'm not looking forward to that. No. We'll be back next week, Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time for more uh, Take the Black Live. More Game of Thrones news. Hopefully Cheryl will be back with us. And more A Song of Dan and Josh. I think the next chapter is... Arya? Arya, yeah. Oh, yeah. Get back into it with Arya. We'll see you then. Thanks for watching. You can find us on iTunes and Google Play if you so desire. We'll be back next week. Adios, everybody.